Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Grace Fellowship Church. And in the words of Pastor Tom, welcome to those who are on YouTube land. (laughs) Uh, So let's open up in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for uh, allowing us to be here today. I thank you for the freedom to come here and not have to worry about us being imprisoned or anything like that. And I pray that uh, we'll all learn something from this message. And I pray for these things in your son's name. Amen. As we all know, our country has been going through some very difficult times right now. There has been a lot of violence, corruption, and disunity within the church and each other. There are probably a variety of things that come to mind. This can bring on a lot of stress and anxiety to us. Especially for conservative Christians, it seems that our nation is coming undone. Our country has not been God-centered or spiritual like it used to be. Our story begins in the 1500s when England decided to break away from the Catholic Church. England had set up its own church called the Church of England. The problem with this is that the King of England was given power over the church. Because of this, the Church of England was still being run like a Catholic church. So a large group of people realized that the church wasn't being run right. This group of people became known as the Puritans because they wanted to purify the Church of England. The Puritans became tired of spiritual control over the church. They wanted spiritual freedom. So once the Puritans heard about the new world that was discovered by Columbus back in 1492, they saw it as a perfect way to escape the Church of England and have freedom of religion. So many people set sail for this land. When they landed, they started their own colony called Plymouth. To the Puritans, this was like the promised land given to them by God. Many more people set sail for this new land that was discovered, which later formed into what we now know as the 13 colonies. The only problem was that the king back in England still considered the 13 colonies part of England, and that made the colonists very upset. The colonists wanted a place where they can worship and glorify God freely and not have to be under any spiritual control. So with some cruel governing and heavy taxation from the British Empire, the colonists just about had it. The colonists then issued small rebellions which later provoked England into a declaration of war with the colonies, which is now known as the American Revolutionary War. In 1776, our nation was born under the leadership of a godly man named George Washington. Great Britain had the largest and most powerful army in the entire world at that time. But because the colonists depended on God, he allowed us to pursue the British forces and gain independence even though we were outnumbered. Once our government was established, our country started to thrive and become very prosperous. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. One of the many examples of righteousness in our country's early days was the way people worked. They were very diligent and hardworking, and what made them like this was their mindset. Their mindset was that they were working for God, and everything that they did would be done unto the Lord. This became known as the Protestant work ethic, work ethic, which is one of the main reasons our country became so great. 
The number one thing that made us great, though, was our righteousness and loyalty towards God. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Because we put him first, God continued to bless us greatly by expanding our country vastly. In all the new territories God gave us, he also blessed us with natural resources such as oil and gold. God also allowed our military and economy to grow so much that we became a world power. Whenever there was a spiritual decline in our country, God always brought forth a spiritual revival to keep us close to him. God would raise up men such as Dwight L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and many more to evangelize across the country and bring spiritual renewal to our nation in its darkest times. In this time, the Bible influenced all life in America. In our military, everyone got a small copy of the New Testament. In schools, they held prayer and Bible readings. The schools even taught that God created the world and everything in it. The Bible influenced our economy as well. Every dollar bill has the phrase, in God we trust, to remind us not to trust in our money, but to trust in God and to be thankful for what he has given us. They even put a big display of the Ten Commandments in our National Supreme Court. Our former president, Ronald Reagan, once said, Freedom prospers when religion is vibrant and the rule of law under God is acknowledged. See, everything we did, we did to acknowledge God, and because of this, God allowed us to prosper. It was here that our country went on to do amazing things throughout the world. We stood up to the evil totalitarian governments that wanted to take over the world in World War I and World War II. When communism was taking over governments across the globe, we were the ones to stand up against it. Big Christian organizations arose in this country and were helping and evangelizing the world in so many amazing ways. World Vision and Samaritan's Purse were sending missionaries to places that never heard the gospel. When there are famines or natural disasters, they were the first ones to come to their aid to help and share the gospel. There's International Justice Mission that protects people in poverty from violence, slavery, and sex trafficking. And there's Voice of the Martyrs who defend persecuting Christians and smuggle Bibles into secret churches all throughout the world. We were able to do all these amazing things only because of our Christ-centered desires to share the gospel and to stand up for what is right and just. Because of our righteousness and pursuit of the Lord and the Bible, our nation grew to be the wealthiest and most powerful country the world has ever seen. Again, Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. But in recent years, there has been spiritual decline, a lessening of love for God, and division within the church. Right now, many churches don't even have prayer meetings, and even the ones that do have prayer meetings have a very small attendance. It seems that the church has been losing its passion and appetite for God. Because of this weakening of the church, it has allowed many sins to prosper in our society. Some examples of this sin is the gay rights movement, acceptance of evolution, and many more. It's not hard to tell that our nation and the church has been moving further and further away from God. There are certain sins that influence uh, society when there's a spiritual decline within the church. 
Romans 1 says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed incident acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. We see here two things that will bring judgment on us. Failure to acknowledge God and suppressing the truth in wickedness. When the church fails, our society will turn towards godlessness. When we become wicked and unrighteous, we suppress the truth. God will then eventually just leave us to ourselves. Pastor Tom has used the beach ball and pool as an example of how truth operates. When we push down on it and suppress it, God is always faithful to allow it to come back up again. After we continue to suppress it, the truth, God will then just eventually leave us to ourselves. The Word of God shows us four specific signs of judgment that identify God's hand being pulled away from us. The first is idolatry. This is extreme love and adoration for something other than God. This, um, in Hosea 4:11-14, it talks about Israel being led astray from God. This is what it says. To prostitution, to old wine and new wine, which take away the understanding of my people, they consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on mountaintops and burn offerings under hills, under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where the shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Here we see the Israelites having no faithfulness, love, or acknowledgement for God. God is slowly pulling back his hand and allowing Israel to be trampled on by their enemies. uh, Israel would later be destroyed by the Assyrians. You can clearly see this in our own country and even in the church. God has blessed his country with amazing things such as science, technology, luxury, convenience, and money. But our society does not want to give the credit to God. Instead, we acknowledge science and other types of programs for our amazing wealth and prosperity. We have been praising created things rather than the creator. Even with all these blessings God has given us, we still always want more. We are living in the wealthiest nation to have ever existed. America has a gross domestic production of $21 trillion dollars which is by far greater than any other country. And yet 77% of U.S. households have debt. Do you realize that just the church in America has the ability to end world hunger? But still we choose not to because we love our money and all that it brings. It is easy to see that money and its pleasures have become a huge form of idolatry in the church and in our society. 
The second sin of God's judgment is broken covenants. We see God making a covenant with Adam in Genesis 2, saying, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then we see Adam breaking this covenant with God in Genesis 3, saying, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The moment Adam broke this covenant with God, it brought pain and destruction to the entire world. God cursed the world and everything in it. When Adam broke that covenant, God removed perfection and allowed sin to enter the world. In Adam's story, we see that obedience brings life and disobedience brings death and destruction. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. We see numerous occasions in the Old Testament of God bringing his judgment upon Israel because of their sin and the pursuit of breaking their covenant with God. One of the ways we see a broken covenant in our society right now is in marriage. In marriage, a man and a woman make a covenant with God to commit to each other forever. But 50% of all marriages end in divorce, and that includes the church. This is truly a broken covenant. Because this covenant of marriage has been broken so many times, people in our society don't even bother making a covenant with God or each other at all. In America, 95% of the population has had intercourse before marriage. Not only are we breaking this covenant with God, but we have totally avoided making one. We have become a people that deliberately breaks covenants with God, and by doing so, we are bringing death upon ourselves. The third sin we see when God pulls his hand away from us is sexual immorality. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Then skipping to verse 13, it says, If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. This shows how serious God takes sexual immorality. God commanded Moses in the Old Testament to put these kinds of people to death. It clearly says in the Bible that the sexual immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 9 through 10, 6, 9 through 10, which says, Do you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We literally see God raining down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual immorality. 
Jude 1.7 says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. People that indulge in sexual immorality will receive eternal punishment if they don't repent. In our society, we see sexual immorality and same-sex marriage, pornography, adultery, and transgenderism. Our country and some churches even promote and take part in these sexual immoral sins. Right now, the majority of the U.S. population, with 63%, have accepted and approved of the LGBTQ community. And a record high 7% of Americans identify as gay, bisexual, or transgender. And we have been seeing those percentages only increasing. Our nation has even dedicated an entire month just to celebrate people taking up a sexual and moral lifestyle. And now there are 72 different types of genders according to our culture. So if you're not content with the way God made you, you can go and supposedly change your gender. And now that we have accepted the fact of evolution, we have rejected the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully created by God. Not only do we practice these false beliefs, but our society has accepted it as truth. Adultery and pornography are sins that have crept into the church as well. Matthew 5, 27 through 28 says, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God commands us not to lust or commit adultery, and these are sins that are rapidly growing in our society and in the church. The last sign that we see when God pulls his hand away from us is the shedding of innocent blood. Now, the shedding of innocent blood is something that God truly hates. In Proverbs, there's a list of things that God hates, and the shedding of innocent blood is one of them. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. One of the well-known stories in the Bible of the shedding of innocent blood is the story of Cain and Abel. This is Genesis 4, 8 through 10. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work it, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer of the earth. When Cain murdered Abel, God cursed the ground Cain worked on so that it would not produce its crops. Then God said that Cain would be a restless wanderer of the earth. This goes to show how serious God takes the shedding of innocent blood. In our society, we see the shedding of innocent blood in abortions. In our country, 4,000 unborn children die every day through abortions. And right now, our government is supporting this cruelty of killing babies. Our tax dollars pay for 24% of all abortions in America. 
This means that your hard-earned money that goes to the government is being used to kill 250,000 unborn children every year. All these babies that are being killed, it says that their blood cries out to God. Idolatry, breaking covenants, sexual immorality, and the shedding of innocent blood are signs that we are being left to a debased culture. God is slowly pulling back his hand and his blessing from our country and allowing us to go about everything our own way. We're seeing more and more people praising others for taking up a wicked and ungodly lifestyle by calling it, by calling it an act of courage and bravery. Our culture no longer has shame when we sin or do wicked things, and that describes the state of our society. But with God, there's always hope, and it's important to know how we should respond. So I would like to call up Chloe to conclude. We have a gift from God. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need to let God be our light in this darkness and guide our every step. Through scripture, I want to show you ways how Christians should respond and what we can do to grow during these situations. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Even though this is a promise given to Israel, it gives us a good idea of how we should respond. The first thing that this verse tells us to do is to humble ourselves. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This verse teaches us how to humble ourselves. It says we humble ourselves by casting our cares on him. What helps me to cast my cares on God is thinking of how mighty, how big, strong, and powerful he is. I am reminded of how God is, how he is more than able to accomplish what concerns me. Pastor John Piper says that the greatest expression of humility is being carefree in God. The second thing this verse tells us to do is pray. Our battle for our country is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 12, 18. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Come to God in all circumstances. People are not our enemy. The spirit at work in them is. So we are not wrestling with abortionists and gay and lesbians. We are wrestling with the spirit of rebellion working in and through them. That's why it is important for us to pray. As a youth group, it is important for us to set aside time to pray. We pray for each other's struggle and also for the occurrences in this world. The devil is always ready for us to fall. Worldly things are replacing God in our lives. 2 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing, so we should be aware of our surroundings. 
Everywhere we go, we can pray. In the youth group, we do prayer walking where we pray on site with insight. When we walk around Port Jervis, we are able to see the desperation of prayer. We find new things to pray for that we would have never known if we didn't see it or experience it. By prayer walking through town, we learn that if we see something, pray something. God is always showing us things to pray for as we stay alert in prayer. For example, as a family, when we hear sirens from our vehicles, from vehicles driving past our house, we immediately take time to pray for whatever circumstance is taking place. When we see or hear of wickedness taking place, God is inviting us to pray. How we live and pray will, affect the, will impact the effect we have in the spiritual war. The third thing to do is to seek God's face. There are three ways God has shown me how to seek him and help me let go of the anxiety and pressures of this world. The first way to seek God is to depend on God. As we are, active, are we actively searching for more of God? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The more that we seek God, the more we will find him all around us. When challenges occur, I ask myself, do I really want to be consumed with this? And I have to remember that how I respond is very important. I am reminded to capture my thoughts and choose whether to entertain them or cast them out. 2 Corinthians 2.10 says, And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Unless our hearts are truly focused on Christ, our focus will be on something else, and we won't be capturing how God is moving in our lives. Whatever we choose to think about should be pleasing and pursuing to the kingdom of God. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Philippians 4.8. Depending on God can lead to the outward parts of your comfort zone, but there we depend on and rely on him more we can experience his strength and stability in our lives. The more that I rely on God, the more I realize I cannot rely on myself because I know my strength only comes from God. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God has a plan for each of our lives. A lot of the time, God will be calling us out of our comfort zones, but that is only because God wants us to experience and see more of him. God has created each of us for a purpose, not for ourselves, but to portray himself so that others can enjoy and glorify him in all his wondrous works. He did and continues to do beautiful things in our lives that can change us and our perspectives. When I injured my knee and was restrained to the couch in pain, I felt anxious, I felt worried because I never knew how long it would last or even if I would completely recover. But God knew and he helped me realize that. I surrendered and gave God those distractions that kept me from trusting him. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I began to be thankful that he had delivered me, and I had faith that he would do it again. 
As I look back on my life and all the challenges I have gone through, I can see that God had a plan for me and brought me here. We are all living proof of what God has done in us. We, are, we all have a story through the experiences God gives us. He gives us tests to turn into our testimonies so we can be a living witness of how God has moved in our lives. The second way to seek God is to remember all the promises he has made to us. As I share a couple of my, prom- of my favorite promises, I hope they will reassure you and give you hope. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even though change happens every day, our society, our country may change, we have confidence that God stays the same. His love for us never changes. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will never leave us, even at our lowest, when we feel alone. Our God is faithful and will give us strength to overcome. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God promises that no matter what circumstance, if we depend on God and surrender it all, he will be our strength and give us rest. Exodus fourteen fourteen, The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. The last way God has led me to seek him is by having a thankful heart. Colossians 22, 6 through 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up with him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Psalm 104 through 5. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. I thank God for never leaving me. I thank God for showing me and growing me to be who I am today. I am thankful for God's plan for my life, for the church, for the future, and for our country. Thanksgiving helps us overcome a lot of our struggles. For example, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayers and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving also keeps our hearts from getting darkened. Romans 1, 21 says, Because although they knew God, They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thanksgiving has really helped me see and seek more of God. The last command in this verse is to turn from our wicked ways. As Joshua pointed out, it is actually a sin to not acknowledge God's presence and his truth in all that we do. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 commands us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So we have to turn from ourselves and our sin and acknowledge his ways. This verse challenges me to look at my life and sin and repent to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
it's something to realize that no matter what we do, our God is a faithful and merciful God who forgives us and still continues to love us. God is our hope in this dark, progressing world. Our society grows away from God. We all should be clinging to him more than ever. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When we repent of our sins, the next step we would be turning and keeping our focus on God, on the everlasting light. With this knowledge and remembrance that God is the light of the world, we have no fear because we know who holds our future. Our response is to humble ourselves before God, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. Proverbs 13.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Our country is facing the disgrace of not acknowledging God and suppressing the truth. The battle we are in is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. God is calling his people to himself to be faithful and set apart for his glory. This Memorial Day weekend, let's seek God, turn from our wickedness, and ask him to heal our land. Mark 10:27 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this Sunday, and I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for working in our lives and how we see and how we have seen you in and through it all. I pray that throughout our lives, our focus would be on you and that we would bring glory to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.